There we go. Um, it is good to be together. It is so good to be together. And um, thank you for praying for us this morning, everyone. Uh, we really, really are grateful. Um, I just, one of the things that we started off saying when we planted the church was real people connect best to real people. You know, there's nobody here that's perfect. Uh, and you know that whole saying, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. Uh, that, that's true for all of us. But thank God we've got a perfect God who we can follow and who helps us and who pulls us out of our mess. And yeah, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Every year we say, can you believe it's Christmas already? And every Christmas seems to come faster than the Christmas before. I don't know if you've noticed that. We have this Christmas decoration that we have uh, hanging up on our front door. And this week, Paula said, oh, it's up already. Only because we haven't taken it down from last year yet. (laughs) So it's still there. But I was like, what's the point of taking it down? Because Christmas is like three blinks away and all of a sudden it's Christmas again. Uh, One thing we need to keep doing and we keep on doing all the time, is no matter how fast time flies, we keep coming back to Jesus. We've got to keep coming back to Jesus. Life has a way of distracting, disturbing, and disrupting us. And we need to be very intentional in our lives about putting things of Christ first and coming back to Jesus to resist the drift and make Jesus the focal point of our lives because life has a drift. And if we are not careful and intentional, then we drift with life, and then we wonder why we're so far away from God. So we resist the drift. For those that know me, they know that I am a little bit ADD, right? Um, What kind of response is that? Um, Or maybe ADHD, I'm not sure. So while I was preparing this message, I thought, let me just go online and do a test to see if I'm actually ADD only to realize that I was being completely distracted. So for someone that is easily distracted, I do my very best of putting as many things as I can in my life that will keep me coming back to Jesus. Uh, And Christmas is a big one of those. It's a big focal point on Jesus. While I was preparing as well, I did some research on Christmas, and this little present popped up on my screen. I was like, oh, look, a present. So I clicked on that. And then five minutes later, I was like trying to collect all the presents in some stupid Google game. It's like, well, what am I doing? What was I doing? Um, so whatever I was doing, I was completely distracted again. Back to the point. Jesus is the focal point of Christmas. And life has a way of pulling our attention constantly to something else. He is the focal point of creation, our calendar, and our lives. So today is the 10th of December, 2023. Around 739,230 days since Jesus, give or take, depending on your, how dogmatic you are. I know this because I found a beautiful little rabbit trail that I explored for half an hour trying to figure out how long it was. Since It's also 6,574 days since I got married. Yeah. I don't know why I'm like, well, you guys know why. Uh, and I thank God for my family, our 18th wedding anniversary. Uh, I thank God for what he has done. I thank God for what he's doing. And we are in a process, but God is working. And I thank God for what he's going to do. I can tell you this for sure. 
when people look at our lives, they'll say, it's the work of Jesus that got them through and got them where they're going, because God is good. Anyway, what were we talking about again? Um, oh, yes, being distracted. Christmas. We've made it about so many things, but we need to come back to appreciating, celebrating, and just admiring and worshiping the greatest gift ever given, which is Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. So every year at Christmas, my family, we give and receive gifts to each other. Maybe you don't, but I enjoy giving gifts, and I enjoy receiving gifts, so I'm okay with it. So when we look at Scripture, we see that gifts given to God, and we'll talk about that over the next few weeks, and gifts given from God. Gifts for a king and gifts from a king. Hence the name of our title, Gifts for a King, Gifts from a King. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the gifts that were given to Jesus, which were actually a prophetic statement of what Jesus was giving back to us. Everything we think we can bring to Jesus is something he gave us already. Every good and acceptable gift that we can bring to God is something he already gave us. And if our eyes will be open to the fact that every good thing comes from God, then all of a sudden we don't go about what's mine and what's God's and what we are. Everything about us is worship, including our giving. So some background building up to this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And I know you can switch off thinking, oh, Christmas story. Don't switch off. We need to keep coming back and celebrating who Jesus is. So King Herod was a sketchy, insecure, power-hungry leader who made it absolutely terrifying for anybody who was having children at the time. He knew that there was talk of this coming Messiah, this king that was going to be uh, born. And the title for this king was the King of the Jews. But this is also a title that King Herod had inherited for himself. And now all of a sudden, so I want to put an end to that. So he calls the wise men or the magi and he says, tell me where this king is born so that I can go and worship him. But God God warned the Magi in a dream. So they left King Herod. They went to Jesus. They gave him certain gifts. They warned him of Herod's plan. And then they didn't go back and tell Herod anything that was actually going on. So his response, King Herod's response, was to murder every child in the region from two years and under. And I I I can't even begin to imagine the trauma that it must have happened in those days, where they're breaking into families' homes to take their children to murder them because this insecure leader is worried about somebody that's going to take his place one day. It's radical. So Jesus' family, they fled. They went somewhere safe. Uh, and from Scripture, we don't know how many wise men there were, yet we do know that they gave Jesus three gifts. They gave him frankincense, gold frankincense, and myrrh. Um, hence the reason that people say uh, three wise men. Because we don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been 30, there could have been 300. But what we do know is not how many there were, we know what they gave. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And off the topic, I was thinking, whenever you play hangman, myrrh's a good one, because <laughs> it has no vowels. So that was me. Like, um, So, to our primary scripture for today. Really, some things really are best left in my head. I know that. <laughs> I know that. So, primary scripture. Um, Matthew 2, verse 7 to 12. I'm going to take a little, another little detour. Read your Bible because you get to, not because you have to, but let's not neglect scripture. 
Make it, make it a part of your life because the more you study Scripture, the more it studies you, the more you transform and change, the more we get to know who God is. It's amazing. So if you, even if you think, oh, no, I don't want to be super religious, it's discipline. Just read your Bible every day. Off the topic. So Matthew 2, verse 7 to 12. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Wink, wink. I actually looked up where wink, wink, nudge, nudge comes from as well. Uh, And I I was like, oh, that's a sketchy reference. It's not very good. So this was a sketchy king with sketchy intentions. Verse 9. After the interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped. Can you imagine these wise men? These magi, these wealthy people. And they're bowing down before a baby. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So the wise men, they worshipped God, and then they gave him these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And think about it. Imagine going to a baby shower, and someone's like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Some nappies. How practical. What a nice gift. Oh, some wet wipes and some bibs. Oh, those are very nice. And then you open Sally's gift. Oh, it's a little chunk of gold, some oils. (laughs) Thank you very much. Can I sell these maybe? You know, like in today's world, getting gold, frankincense, and myrrh seem like very strange gifts. I mean, the gold might be nice. Uh, (laughs) The gold. Yet in Scripture, these were incredibly valuable, practically, and powerfully prophetic. There was... These were as much spiritual gifts as they were practical gifts. Gold represents the kingship of Jesus. Myrrh represents the suffering that Jesus would go through so that we don't have to. We'll talk about it in future. And today we're going to talk about the frankincense and what it means to us. I remember, remember Colin and Verity. Verity used to have all these different oils. And um, I'm not sure if she ever had frankincense. Yet I've never, I've never smelled frankincense myself. Apparently frankincense is a multi-purpose oil. Um, so anyone here got frankincense? Oh, there's a few people here that, um, I mean, maybe bring it next week. I'd, <laughs> we, have a, we have a look. Um, so from a medical perspective, the essential oil of frankincense possesses antiseptic, antistringent, combinative, digestive, diuretic, sedative, utinary, and vulnerary therapeutic properties, which really goes without saying, or it's very, very hard to say, either one. Frankincense... Certain in biblical times is a very expensive practical gift that would treat wounds and sicknesses. It was also an incense that the priests would use in the temple worship. And what they would do is they would burn the incense representing the prayers of the people. So frankincense was something that they would use. And the prophetic statement of this gift is that frankincense points to the priestly nature of Jesus. So these wise men, these magi were going to give a gift to Jesus, and they were prophetically declaring that this is our high priest. So what does that mean to us today? 
2023, sitting in a school hall in a Mamzen Tari, that Jesus is our high priest because we don't really have priests in our church, right? Well, we do, but we don't call people priests. In the New Testament theology, there are four areas of church groups, four areas of leadership in church. There are elders. The elders of the church determine the discipline, doctrine, and direction of the church. Then there are deacons. The deacons work alongside the elders to fulfill the works of ministry. Then there are the saints. That's the people of the church. Then there is the apostolic. This is the fivefold translocal gifts that come to us that under the authority of the elder to support what God is doing in the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So, that's the New Testament church. In the Old Testament, there was a temple, and then there were temple priests. And the priests would essentially represent God before the people. I mean, represent the people before God, sorry. And they would go to God on behalf of the people. That's what they would do. So the people are there, God is there, and the priests would stand in the middle, and they would offer sacrifices, and they would offer incense, and pray for the people. So they had two main functions. Number one, make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the priests did. Number two, they would pray on behalf of the people. Sacrifices and prayer. Sacrifices and prayer. And the reason they did this was because back in the beginning, going further back, Adam and Eve sinned against God. Now I realize this is a kind of theological perspective when we're going through some history here, but it's good for us to remember. It's good for us to know. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and when they did, they revealed two very opposing forces. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. God being holy and people being sinful. And holiness and sin cannot mix. They cannot mix, they will not mix, they do not mix. Holiness and sin cannot go together. And today's culture has so watered down sin to be just another way of life. It's just, it's part of the the way that we live. It's no big deal. Uh, It's sin satisfies and it makes me happy. So if you wouldn't get in my, you know, space about it and you wouldn't be all super spiritual and just let me live my life. Sin gets reduced to some sort of list used by Santa to determine who's good and who's bad. You know, coal for the naughty kids <laughs> and cool stuff for the good kids. Uh, I was thinking, I don't know if anyone's ever got coal. <laughs> that's, that's, have you got coal? Oh, you know somebody that's got coal. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, that's, a, that's, that's not a cool gift to get. Anyway, please stop distracting me. The problem is we have so watered down sin... And when we water down sin, we water down our view of the holiness of God. The greater, and this will be on the screen, the greater our revelation of the holiness of God, the greater our revelation of the weight and cost of sin. If we have a great view of the holiness of God, then we understand the weight of sin. So God is holy. We serve a holy God. For us sitting in this room today, our God is holy. So what does that mean? The word holy means set apart from anything that is not of God. To be holy is to be perfect, flawless, pure. No impurities, no faults, no flaws, transcendently perfect and pure in every way. Absolutely perfect. God is holy. Uh, And this isn't one of God's attributes. 
This is something that filters through into every attribute of God. God is holy in His power. God is holy in His grace. God is holy in His glory. He is holy in every attribute of who He is. And His holiness makes Him worthy of praise. So God is holy. And now for the bad news. People are not. We are not holy. Not even a little bit. Not even on our very best day, trying our very hardest. We are far, far, far from holy. Not some of us, but all of us are completely unholy. (laughs) All the visitors, there aren't any visitors. I can... Do you know that little old lady that's really sweet, that does nothing wrong, that's always so kind? Completely unholy. She is unholy. So, that's the bad news. The pastor of City Hill Church in Mams and Toti, flawed, sinful, guilty, and desperately unholy. <laughs> Does someone amen that? <laughs> Thank you for coming, Trish. You can see yourself out. Um, just joking. Stick around. God opposes sin because he wants no part of it. He wants no part of sin at all, ever. Sin is the opposite of holiness. It breaks connection and it separates us from God. It invites all that God is not and it rejects that all God is. When we sin, we're rejecting all that God is and we're inviting all that God is not. It's devastating, it's destructive, and it destroys our lives. So we have the holiness of God and we have the sinfulness of humanity. So in the Old Testament, once a year, and I know this is kind of Theological stuff that's so good for us because it gives us a revelation. Once a year, the high priest, so the temple had the priests, the high priest would go into a space in the temple called the Holy of Holies, and he would make a sacrifice to God for the sin of the people. And this was a temporary sacrifice because they needed to do it again and again and again and again. And this was known as the Day of Atonement, or I think the Jewish people call it Yom Kippur. It's a sacred holiday, the Day of Atonement, where the priest would go before God into the Holy of Holies and he would make a sacrifice. So the priest would go in there, into the temple, and he would sacrifice an innocent animal to make right for the sins of the people. And then he would light incense, the frankincense, representing the prayers of the people. And then the priest would take the blood of the innocent animal and they would sprinkle it on something called the mercy seat. Right? This was... Um, a chest containing the Ark of the Covenant. So this is, this is, or the mercy seat in the front there, symbolizing the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty ones. And I mean, you understand where this is going. After that, they would take something called a scapegoat and they would symbolically transfer all the sins of all the people onto the goat and then they would chase the goat out of town. So that means... People would be separated from their sins. They've now been forgiven. And the wrath of God, so to speak, or the justice of God has been appeased because there's been sacrifice, there's been prayer, and there's been a separation from sin. To us living on this side of the old covenant, this seems very messy and somewhat disturbing. I can just imagine being being a high priest or being a priest in those days must have been a very messy job. Remember... God is holy, therefore he is holy in justice and holy in judgment. Therefore, he must and will punish sin. What is amazing for us to understand is that 
Not only is God holy in judgment, He is holy in mercy. And I, I, all of us, whatever your revelation is now, have a relationship with Jesus, you will be eternally grateful for that. So when the high priest made the sacrifice, it satisfied God's judgment. At the same time, it made way for the mercy of God. Sin comes at a price for all of us. Sin comes at a price. So the sacrifice was to cover the cost of the sins, yet it was temporary and needed to be done again and again and again. Now for us sitting on this side of the old covenant, we are recipients of some very, very good news, also called the gospel, something that we can never go wrong receiving, preaching, or sharing. We, like the people of the old covenant, we also have a high priest. All of you have a high priest, and his name is Jesus. So, Hebrews 10 verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made... I just this, this was hard to get my mind around, even this week. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Your sin is always there and the sacrifice is always required. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. We are not only forgiven, this is massive, we are not only forgiven. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've received Jesus, no matter what you've done, you are not only forgiven, but you are holy. Not temporarily, but eternally. That's massive. No longer seen as sinful and separated, but forgiven and united to a holy God. Not based on anything that we've done, but based on everything that God has done for us. This is massive. May God open our eyes to what this really means. Today, as we put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are purified, we are holy before a holy God. Thank you, Jesus. Through faith, Jesus takes our rags of rebellion and he exchanges them for his robes of righteousness. Imagine somebody coming, you've got your brand new clothes, your new suit, and then somebody comes in here with all dirty, stinking rags. Jesus takes the rags off puts them on, and he exchanges what he's wearing, his robe of righteousness, and puts it over your shoulders and says, that's for you. I'll take what you deserve. I'll pay for it. I'll be tortured. I'll suffer. I'll die. But God being holy couldn't be kept down. Jesus Christ, our high priest, shed his blood. He took our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God over our sins. And he made a way for, um, for us to experience mercy and forgiveness right now. No matter what you've done, we are acceptable and holy in the sight of God. Believers. And I say believers because you need to receive Jesus if you haven't. If we receive Jesus, we are perfect, flawless, and pure. Because of nothing we've done. No impurities. No faults, no flaws. Jesus is coming back for what? A spotless bride. He's not saying, I'm going to wait till you all act perfect. He's already done that. He makes us spotless. 
We are no longer disconnected and far from God. We are loved and embraced. Sin, gone. Shame, gone. Forever and ever, amen. And yeah, understand that we still sin. But Jesus Christ has paid the price for that sin on the cross. And because God paid the price for our sins, He knows the weight and the burden that it brought. Because He understands and relates to us in every single way. Whatever you are going through right now, Jesus understands. He's God and He lived here. He knows what it's like. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus did not have an easy life when he was here on earth. He understands. He understands hardship. He understands all these things. He was conceived out of wedlock, born to a teenage mom (laughs) who had a story that was very hard for the town to believe, And it was a small town. So no doubt there would have been a huge scandal around his life and his birth. Jesus lived in poverty. He was ridiculed. He was tempted. He was rejected. He was betrayed by his friends. He lost loved ones. And he was falsely accused. He was tortured. And then he had his father turn his eyes because God will have no part of sin. He is holy. He went through all that suffering. Have you ever felt disconnected from God? Have you ever felt rejected, betrayed, hurt, and lonely? Jesus completely understands. Whatever you are going through right now, you have a great high priest who can relate to you in every way. Jesus understands. A gift from the Magi was actually a prophetic statement of the gift that God was giving back to us. The punishment we deserve went to Jesus. You are a holy people. Hebrews 4 verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. So we no longer have to go through the priest. If anything, we are the priesthood of all believers. So therefore we can approach God with confidence, not thinking, hold on, I'm weighed down by the weight of my sin. It has been separated from us from the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we can enter not blasé and casual and oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not that. It's we can enter boldly because we recognize that God is holy and I am sinful, but He has removed my sin from me through Jesus on the cross and therefore I can go into the presence of God with a boldness, not an arrogance, a boldness because we serve a holy God. There we will receive mercy. Why? Because the justice of God has been satisfied for all time. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. If you have messed up, finishing this year, we're going to be starting a new year. If you have messed up this year, more than you can put into words, God understands. And he paid the price so that you don't have to carry the shame and the guilt anymore. Christmas is massive. This Christmas, no matter what this year looked like, we are holy in the, in the eyes of an almighty God. That is a God worthy of worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you.
for Christmas. I thank you, Lord Jesus, as much as the world turns it into some commercial thing, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we celebrate who you are to us, what you've done for us, the gifts you've given us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we won't become um, just casual and used to, like, oh, Christmas is just another Christian holiday. I thank you, Lord Jesus. It pulls us back to the centrality of Christ. All time points to you. Humanity points to you. Humanity looks to you, Lord Jesus. You are the only one that can save. And I pray, Lord, this morning we will all have you in our hearts. I pray that you will move in power, that we will be uh, an evangelistic people. Over the next season, Lord, we'll be bold about being in your presence and inviting people to church. I thank you, Lord, that you won't just use City Hill to, to reach people. You will use every individual in this room to reach people with the good news of your gospel. Lord, I'm grateful to you for what you've done, what you're doing, what you're still going to do. Bless this church. Bless this people. Open their eyes and be glorified through all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.